one of the ideas of kind of thinking about our long-term goals. I'd like my child to be considerate and kind. Therefore, how can I be considerate and kind in this conflict over, you know, which colors, you know, cup you get. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it really is trying to get the parent to kind of get out of fear and, and into this more compassionate, open-minded way of looking at things. Hey, hey, this is Dr. Kavita Sun. Welcome to the Emotional Mastery Podcast. This podcast is about emotions, psychology, and relationships. Every week, I'll be sharing real-life tools to help you build self-awareness, a better relationship with yourself, and more fulfilling relationships with the people that matter to you. Listen, this is the foundation on which the rest of your life is built. So let's take the time to get it right. I'll see you on the inside. I'd love to... Um to welcome Kira, you know, we're doing this, uh, this, this meeting of the minds to talk about how we can all help each other. Tell us, tell us a little bit about who you are and your journey to coaching and where we can find you. Yeah, perfect. So, um, so I'm Kira Denno. Uh, I live outside of Boston. I have two boys who are 11 and 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first job is as a physician. I'm a newborn medicine doctor. Um, and then kind of more recently in the last couple of years, I am a parent coach and I am really, really passionate about helping sensitive families have more peaceful homes. So that's what I do in my passionate um, life. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of who I am. There's other stuff that's um, fun, too. But yeah. Oh, my gosh. How cool is that? I love uh, your, uh, it's just so succinct. Sensitive families have peaceful homes. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. So when yeah. I, I, you know, I find so many kind of um, big hearted, empathetic, attuned parents who are so, so, so lovely. And we get caught up in our kids' big feelings, right? Because if they're sensitive and we're sensitive, and then we kind of go off the deep end together. And so I think it can be really hard, especially for like, parents who are so peaceful and intentional to find themselves so upset with their kid and it's very uh discouraging for them and they get frustrated and it's um you know how can I be so thoughtful and intentional and educated and then still lose it with my kid and say things I don't want to do say or you know really lose my temper and um yeah totally wow I I really love that and I have been there. <laughs> I've been in that spot. <laughs> I actually am like getting flashbacks of certain scenes where, uh, you know, we all want to be very intentional, very thoughtful and pride ourselves on on having worked through some stuff to be able to show up in that way. And then children come and they are the most, you know, they occupy the most tender spots in our hearts and can really reactivate things without without recognizing. And it's hard for us to to recognize in the moment. I'm fascinated. Um, so I'd love to know, how did you get into, you said a couple of years ago, I'd love to know how you got into coaching and why you chose parenting and the whole journey. And I also read something about, am I pronouncing this right? J-A-I, Jai, Jai? Yes, Jai that's, yes, yeah, that's Because I, I met you in 2018, right? Yes, probably. And I feel like it was the summer of 2018 when we started talking about working together. So I feel like time flies. I feel like it's been, oh, I mean, a fair amount of time, like 
for some people, this is like mid-career, you know, <laughs> mid-career mid coaching. <laughs> um, so, so, um, so my story of why I became a parent coach is from my childhood. So, you know, I, I have a wonderful mother um, and like she and I did not have the closeness that I wanted growing up. Right. I really longed to be closer to her in an emotional way that we were never able to achieve. And so I knew when I had my kids, I wanted emotional closeness with them. And also, like, how could I still be the parent? Right. And I didn't just want to be their friend. Right. But I I longed for that kind of closeness that I had wished I had with my mom growing up. And so I, you know, read a ton of books and I got coaching and I took classes and all this stuff. And I was kind of just puttering around. And then Donald Trump got elected to be president. And literally on that day, I said to myself, if this is important to me, which it, it, it is as a bigger societal thing, I need to get into action. And so that was the day that I applied to the Jai Institute for Parenting, uh, which is a very heart-centered program, um, which is really, you know, it's a peaceful parenting uh, program where they train parent coaches, but it really, um, you know, it's about the relationship with your child. So it's not about controlling your kid or getting them to do exactly what you need them to do. Um, so that that's kind of the story. It started with Kind of the relationship I wished I had had with my mother and how I, you know, wanted to achieve that with my kids, but also like, how do you say no? How do you um, be in charge in a, in a safe way and be close with them? And so um, that is my, my journey. And then Donald Trump, thankfully, um, got me into action. Um, and, and it's because I, I so firmly believe that how do people know how to be kind? It's because someone was kind to them when they were a child, right? Someone modeled it to them about how to be respectful, how to be open-hearted. And if you don't get that modeled to you as a, as a child, then you have to learn it as an adult. Or, and, and oftentimes you're Donald Trump and you never learn it. So, um, you know, so that is kind of my, my journey. Um, yeah. So, and, and now I, um, my, my, you know, my passion from that is that I, I coach all these families where there are sensitive kids and parents, and I see a lot of the same dynamics that happened with me and my mother, mm -hmm. um, and I am on this mission so that other people don't have to feel that pain in that relationship, right? Is there, is there a way for a sensitive parent and a sensitive child to get along without taking it personally, without going down the rabbit hole together? Um, you know, how, how can they uh, manage conflict in positive ways, all the kind of stuff that you guys are doing. Um, yeah, yeah, so that's, that's my story. <laughs> well, I want to say at least one positive thing came out of that election day then <laughs> <laughs> one good thing right that's I, it I thank you for sharing that because i can look back on that day with a little bit less pain now <laughs> yeah it, it was like literally i was like i you know checked the news he was elected i said i'm getting into action i've been wanting to do this for years and this is the day i'm gonna do it so um it was yeah it's so beautiful and so how did you migrate into that niche uh, of the sensitive children and the sensitive parents like, that's such an important 
yes. niche yeah. and one that I would not have thought to evolve into. Yeah. So, you know, um, since you both are coaches, you probably have been coached, right? So I, I have my own coach who's helped me figure out, you know, what are, what's my mission. And um, I kind of gradually came to this awakening, like, wow, I really am a sensitive person. This has been a recurring theme for me. And I didn't really notice it because I'm, I'm very tough in a crisis. Like I, you know, I don't cry in the hospital, right? I am, I am a tough person when I need to be. And yet I could see how um, kind of this higher sensitivity, high empathy, deep feelings were a recurring theme that had come up again and again um, in my professional life and my personal life. And um, so uh, it's only kind of in the last, I would say two years that it even occurred to me that this was a recurring theme. And then I looked at all the families I've been working with and was seeing all, connecting all these dots, like, wow, all these sensitive people are kind of gravitating to me. We are finding each other because we speak the same language here. And, um, and I'm seeing these kind of recurring themes in their relationships with their kids, right? A lot of recurring conflict where people take it personally because they're so sensitive, right? It's, um, you know, sensitive kids tend to have sensitive parents and vice versa. You know, it's not 100%. But um, so, yeah, so that's, it's been a, a kind of slow awakening for me to realize how sensitivity was playing out for me. And then now, because I'm in a caring profession of medicine and coaching, I see it in so many people that I work with. Um, again, maybe not consciously, they're not aware that they're higher sensitivity, but this deep empathy, deep feeling, um, people who take everything personally, right? We sensitive people tend to see criticism where it's not. So a lot of, it can affect our relationships a ton, right? Like my kid is doing this to me. Other people are out to get me. Um, you know, these kind of things that we tell ourselves that are, that are not factual, but, um, based on our own temperament, our own um, way of being. So, yeah. So I have a question because all this was very foreign to me until a few years ago. So as you know, uh, we'll go into this more, but Kira, for our listeners, you were my coach. You were my first coach yeah. way back when, and maybe that's why we work so well together. Um, one of the reasons before you even knew that this was going to become your niche, because I'm a highly sensitive person and empath. I have two very highly sensitive children. So I think yeah. that probably played out in a zillion ways, but I'm curious if you were a listener and hadn't heard these terms before, how would you know if your family was say a highly sensitive mm -hmm. family, like what sorts of Right. recurring right. themes might emerge in the day-to-day -day life. Yeah. So, so you can Google, um, highly sensitive person and it'll come up with like, there's a checklist you can take online. Um, but kind of in childhood, it's going to look a little bit differently, but, um, you know, in terms of kind of like what might clue you in, um, a lot of sensitive kids can be really strong willed. This is partly because they feel out of control a lot. So they are, um, digging in their heels and being kind of rigid, inflexible, um, as a way to co cope with the fact that the world feels like too much to them. So these kids can be really strong willed. Uh, inflexible, um, have a lot of trouble with things like disappointment. So these are the kids who, you know, one thing doesn't go the way they expect, and they either melt down, 
they can't they can't go with the flow right these are not kids who go with the flow basically um a lot of like uh kids who are sure that we're mad why are you so mad at me why are you yelling at me and we haven't even raised our voice so a lot of kind of sensitivity to criticism um yeah so those are kind of some of the things and and in in um you know in situations, they can be slow to warm up, they can be shy with new people, really mm -hmm. fearful of change. So, you know, looking back at myself as a kid, I'm like, yep, 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 all those. <laughs> so, um, um, you know, and so a lot of parents can kind of see themselves in that checklist and see their child. Um, and so there's some overlap, you know, uh, sensitive kids tend to have more anxiety in general. So it could be kids who are, you know, afraid of the dark and afraid of separation, all the normal childhood fears, but a little bit more, um, you know, certainly um, different neuro uh, divergence. So, you know, ki kids with um, uh, on the autism spectrum and, and attentional stuff also, there's some sensitivity overlap there too. So it's not like, and everybody's different. You can be you know, every every kid has their own personality as well. So um. that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I, having been trained as a child and adolescent psychiatrist, I remember and recall the um, sensory oversensitiveness that can come from being neurodivergent, and the struggle with modulating your emotions with regard to environmental stimuli, including your clothing, but also the tone of voice and the noise level and all of these things. Uh, it's fascinating. I hadn't quite put that together as being sensitive, but that, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's funny kind of as I, um, you know, when I work with families, right. Um, people will say things like I pick my kid up and like the minute they get in the car, they're melting down or um, they come home from school. They haven't eaten their lunch because the cafeteria was too chaotic that they, you know, aren't able to relax and eat or, um, you know, uh, so, so yes, a lot of the sensory kind of overstimulation and then of course screen time can be for some kids that's very highly stimulating. So for some kids that can also be a challenge as well, but yeah. I think it's so cool how you, you're a pediatrician and a neonatologist. And so you can take that really strong base of childhood health and wellness, and then also bring the coaching lens to help people with these particular types of problems. I think that's such such a really, really cool way to help people. Yeah, wow. you know, it's, it's funny, I, you know, Kavi, since you're, you do um, adolescent childhood psychiatry, like all the ways that I've talked to families in the NICU, like I bring it absolutely to my coaching and it's it's kind yes. of the natural progression of like talking to people when they are are stressed or worried or upset. It's it's yes. you know coaching is exactly the same thing and same with you, Erica, for your professional um, you know your life before coaching, right? Like all those difficult conversations and supporting people in crisis, like it absolutely pays off when you're a coach because it's the same thing. How do you? How do you get through something stressful that you didn't want to happen and, you know, on and on all those challenges. Yes, and learning something that you wouldn't have expected through that crisis. Um, yeah, all of that, all of that. That's, yeah, really, really cool. I'm having so many thoughts about um, how all of our professions prior and also ongoing sort of relate to what we're doing now, especially you, you said something, uh, Kira, about I was a sensitive child and longed for understanding and connection with my mom 
and my mom, you know, really struggled to know what to do with, with all of the things that you're pointing out. And I think many of us as healers, whether we're physicians or coaches, but as healers, we want more than anything else, I think, to heal the thing that we needed healing with, right? Yeah. And it really resonates because um, in my own work, I sort of fumble and stumble to finding how I can help somebody who struggled in ways that I struggled with when I was younger as well. Yeah. To uh, sort of heal yourself a little bit through each client that you heal. Yes, yes, absolutely. And yeah, and it's, um, you know, I, that's really parenting has so much of that same parallel, right? Yes. Of like, um, you're seeing yourself and your kid, and it's both wonderful and scary and hard, right? Like, all, but yes, um, all of those parallels. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so in what we do, we do emotional mastery and relationship mastery. And I mean, think about the parent child relationship in terms of this very intense uh, relationship where ideally parents will have emotional mastery, but not always. And children are struggling to get their emotional mastery, especially as they develop, right? Their brains aren't even developed, you know, they're developing. And then there's this relationship element. So, you know, that's, it's so complex, right? And we all bring our past too, to the, to the, the, the present moment. And so what is your approach? What is your entry point to start to get clarity on this? And I mean, I think our listeners are going to be interested in both like, yes, you know, people have a very keen interest in emotional mastery and relationship mastery. And whether it's a student or a child or a niece, you know, I think this is a very hot topic that we get questions about this all the time with our clients. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. So, I mean, um, the very first thing that I ask my clients to do um, really is like to reflect on their longer term goals, right? So like, um, you know, in the moment, your goal might be to get your kid out the door. Um, but we really start with like a bigger picture intention, right? What, what qualities would you like your child to have when they're an adult? Right. And if you want your child to, let's say, you know, be a, let's say, a a thoughtful, respectful person, then we're going to model that in the short term. So it's really about modeling um, and kind of what is the bigger term picture. And the the subtext of that, of course, is like um, uh, getting ourselves out of um, fear and into a place where we can be compassionate and empathetic as parents, right? Our, our kids are not giving us a hard time intentionally, they're having a hard time. And so, um, you know, one of the ideas of kind of thinking about our long-term goals, I'd like my child to be considerate and kind, um, therefore, how can I be considerate and kind in this conflict over, you know, which color, sp- you know, cup you get? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it really is um, trying to get the parent to kind of get out of fear and and into this more compassionate, open-minded um, way of looking th- at things. And we have a lot of different ways to kind of do that. Um, but But the goal is really, you know, What's going to serve your relationship with your child, um, and and usually it's not control, right? We we don't 
ultimately controlling our kids is a short-term goal that has, you know, is, doesn't have a long-term payoff, right? If we really want a trusting relationship, and I'm sure this is true with our adult relationships too, we don't build trust by controlling and manipulating people in the short term. We, you know, keep our hearts open and try to be empathetic and compassionate, that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so many parallels to how we <laughs> begin our work with uh, adult relationships, just the first cooling our uh, fear centers that have been turned on for a while and tend to read uh, rejection or, you know, intentional, intentional hurt where somebody else might just be broiling in their own stuff. Um, I think there's, there's, a, there's a lot of parallels that's fascinating. I, I would love to uh, maybe on another day really delve into how do you cool? What is your way of cooling those fear centers? And I also wanted to ask, does trauma play a role in this? And how do you sort of ascertain where, if there is trauma, where there's trauma and whether that changes how you approach the initial intake and the initial sort of relationship change? Yeah, so, you know, I, I guess I would say um, many, many of the families who come to work with me um, are trying to parent differently in some way compared to, you know, what happened to them in their childhoods, let's say. Um, so, I'm not a psychiatrist, we don't kind of intentionally go into any specific trauma history, but we absolutely reflect on, you know, what kind of models were your parents when they were angry? How did they model how to handle anger? Um, you know, how did that feel for you when your parent, you know, I don't know, screamed or, or gave you the silent treatment or whatever? Um, so, uh, so, so absolutely, and obviously the attachment, um, that they had with their parents, they tend, you know, how do we learn parenting? Most of it is subconscious modeling. We're not intentionally, uh, you know, there's some intentionality, but there's a lot of things that are just, um, we do so kind of based on what was done to us as, as children. So yeah, I think it's a really important question. Um, you know, I, I absolutely ask people to reflect on kind of how it felt for them when their parents did such and such so that we can kind of see, do you want to do it the same? Do you want to do it differently? Um, and a lot of people are conscious that they want to do it differently and in the moment they get triggered and they go into these patterns. Um, and so it's really, you know, the way I, I do it is we we create more and more consciousness so that there feels like there is a choice, right? I am not an automatic pilot. I have enough space there that I can choose. I do think where it gets really tricky is, um, you know, uh, when our kid really loses their, their marbles emotionally, they're in a big storm, um, really caring parents, um, get really panicky. And, and so it, it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Um, there's a lot of reasons that we um, end up in that same emotional storm. And so um, it's it's not easy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I actually went back to my own homework from when I was working with you in preparation for this session, which was so fun. And 
just like so interesting to see how a lot of the intentions I had made back then about myself as a parent and my children in terms of like flexibility and fun and love and you know all of these you know thoughtfulness and kindness and compassion like all of those those lofty goals when all you feel like you're doing is yelling every day all day you know I went back and I was like wow you know these these aspirations these intentions they really can become you know most of <laughs> I would never say like every moment every day is just like oh you know peaceful every moment but there's this, you know, as we say in, in our work too, this calm in the storm and these these intentions become more and more of the reality of the experience, if that mm. makes sense. And so it was fun for me to look back on this homework, um, home play as we call it in uh, in our programs, which because it's fun, it's not work, it's homework, it's but it's home play. But I think that one of the, I was reflecting on like, well, what are my take-homes from uh, working with you, Kira, you know, and your philosophy, which I know is, has gotten a little more specific over time, but like the whole, the whole um, notion that anger is unmet needs. Mm-hmm. So if, if I, as a parent, am having, you know, just say getting my kids out of the door this morning and it's, you know, five minutes before they're going to shut the bell and the, the, the door and they're going to be late for school. And I'm having all these thoughts about myself as a parent and, but I'm hungry and I'm tired. And I, you know, like I have all these different things myself. So when I start to feel myself boil, I realize like, okay, well, I, I probably have some unmet needs right now that I need to, even in 30 seconds, quickly address and then revisit the situation. So that, that's something I think that we talk about too at, for adults, because it's like, why can I just go from like zero to 60 in two seconds? I think number one, we haven't filled our own wells, so we're running on empty. And then number two, you know, anger is just anger. It, it's there to tell us something. And then when we look at those patterns, then we can learn what's behind that emotion. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So for kids and adults, you know, kids and adults. So for a kid, you know, I didn't realize, you know, before working with you, okay, I can look at my kid and, you know, it's so simple, but so powerful. Are they hungry? Are they thirsty? Are they tired? You know, do they have an unmet need? Why they're tantruming? And can I try to meet that need? Right. And then within myself, if I start to feel myself rise, uh, what is it? You know, is there something that I can do in the short term that's going to help me be more present and steady to then help them weather whatever storm they have? Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I think I, I tend to, the parents who come to, to work with me tend to be like so big hearted that they give, 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 right? And so one of the reminders for the kind of people who work with me is like, um, you do have needs of your own. They are important. Yes, you know, your kids' needs are important, but we're going to like, just bump your needs up just a little bit more. And um, I will say, like when I first, first started doing this work, um, I honest to goodness didn't think I had needs. I mean, I know need meaning like, you know, what is, but like, I, I honestly just thought, well, I got through medical school, I can go without sleep and eat and I can, I don't have to pee, I can do it all. Like I can, you know, watch a terrible thing happen without being visibly upset. Like I have, I have mastered all my needs. And in fact, it's such powerful work when we, um, you know, I like, it is not selfish to model taking care of your own needs. Like that actually is modeling something really 
positive for your kid. It's not like, wow, mom's so selfish. She takes a nap when she's tired. Well, it's the opposite. It's like, wow, mom is so in tune with what she needs. She's not blaming other people for the fact that she's tired and grumpy. She's recognizing her tiredness, taking responsibility for that need, and then looking for ways to get it met. And obviously, like, there are nights that you don't get sleep and you don't eat and whatever, you know, it's not like everything is sunshine and roses all the time, but um, flipping that idea that it's not selfish as a parent to go and have fun and do things that you like to do. Those are things that are powerful for your kids to see you doing, right? How wonderful for your kid to see you, you know, making yourself happy, right? What a great thing. Yes. It's so beautiful. They start thinking, oh, what, what is off with me? What do I need, right? It's, even the entry point to start thinking that way, if it's not modeled, we we even pick up, oh, then it must be selfish to think of my needs too. <laughs> and that's, um, yeah, I love that. I actually, it took me a while in my own life to recognize that what I call zero to 60 was actually me at a low boil of 40 all the time. <laughs> and then suddenly it would go to 60. But I thought that 40 was actually zero because I just gotten used to it for so long, you know? Yes. I, I think absolutely um, many high, you know, intense professionals are doing that. They mm -hmm. are juggling so much all the time that they are um, living in that middle stress zone where it seems yes. normal. Yeah. 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 And then no wonder the smallest thing can, can push us over. Right. Um, I was also, as you were speaking, our clients often will, when they do bring up a parenting issue, one common thread that I often hear is I am wanting to do sensitive parenting and really be present and but my spouse will have a different approach to this and most mostly it's that I want to be the sensitive parent but sometimes it's the opposite like I I want to discipline more my spouse is sort of like letting them off the hook more how do you does that come up in your programs and how do you help people navigate what the spouse might want or not want. Right. Yeah. So, so this is a great, great question. I don't have a perfect answer for it. I mean, so um, I think it's like, like anything, right. So um, we can't um, so that, you know, dominant parenting is where I control you and tell you what you have to do and you have no say. So we don't want to be dominant with our partner, let's say, and tell them, this is how you have to parent and this is the way. So it's again, modeling what we would love to see. So, um, you know, you can model for your kids, how, how, you know, how do I ask for something politely, right? We're modeling that. Um, you're gonna do it with your partner. So I'm, I'm a divorced mom, like my co-parent, you know, it's all about modeling with them too. And, and, you know, they have to come to it kind of in their own time. We can't force anyone to be a, you know, the parents that we, we want to be. And I do think, so my, my business is called Sweet Spot Parenting. Um, and I named it that because everyone has their own sweet spot. Like, so I'm, I'm pretty lax and lenient and I let a lot of things go that I know a lot of moms would be like, never let go, but that's my sweet spot. And it doesn't have to be yours. Everyone's gonna look different. It's not about like, this is the checklist of what you have to do but it has to feel safe for you and your kids, right? So like, 
you know, the kids are lighting fires. Obviously, this is too lax. We gotta, we gotta rein it in here a little bit. But the idea that, um, uh, you know, we we want to create a safety zone where kids feel safe, right? It's not like anything goes, and it's also like emotionally supportive, right? So I think you know, there's a there's a lot of leeway in there. Yeah. You can be a great parent and very strict. You can be a great parent and pretty lax. As long as your kids still have that safety, you're not, you know, there's not like whatever the, you know, the kids are getting fed and dressed or whatever. So, so um, my point being just that um, everybody's parents parenting doesn't have to look the same, and um, and it can you can model that kind of respectfulness. Hopefully, the other parent will be seeing it. Um, and honestly, I think um, you know now that my kids are older, they're 11 and 13. Um, they will point out uh, mm -hmm. to myself and my my ex spouse. Um, they will reflect back what they think about our parenting. So as they get older, they're um, you know they're going to give you feedback like, well, you know, uh, sometimes it's a little bit painful feedback, but um, yes. So um, yeah. Yeah. I just That's started. I made this up myself. I don't know what you think of this, Kara, but I um, was on vacation having a really hard time with my kids because I felt like I was like the police person and the, the, you know, we got to stay on track. We got to stay on time. We have breakfast, we have snorkeling, we have this, we have, and you know, and so finally I just said, okay, Lincoln, my older son, you be the dad for 20 minutes. You are the one who's responsible to make sure we get fed sunscreened and on the boat on time. How does that sound? And he like kind of perked right up. He's 10. And he was like, I get to be the dad. I'm like, yep. Yep. We obey by the same rules that we have or the same values. Cause a lot of this, I think comes back to values. Right. And we talk about that in our programs as well. We have to be respectful. We have to be kind. And, you know, our goal is that we're all on the boat sunscreened at X time. Mm -hmm. And it was so interesting to see how that flip of perspective made a difference for him because he was like, mom, we got to go, we got to do this. <laughs> and then, you know, we, we kind of broke back into our, like, you know, I'm the mom and he's the kid. And, and we have another son, Alton, as you know, um, and you know, it was so interesting because he's like, you know, sometimes it's really hard to be the dad. Sometimes it's really hard to get everybody to do all the things. And so I even tried it with Alton yesterday. We were, you know, struggling to do something. He said, okay, Alton, how about you be the, the dad for, for 15 minutes? And he's like, okay. You know, and it just, sometimes that like flip yes. of a perspective, I think is a really useful and it's playful. Cause that's like one of the other things that as I think back on our time together, you know, in your programs, that's like not the first thing we do, but we work up to like being able to incorporate play in some of this, uh, you know, some of this, this work and values and, you know, goals and all of that. So that, that's something that came to me recently. That was, you know, a, a fun and effective exercise, but, you know, it's just, it's interesting to, to really get their perspective on, on things. And sometimes it's actually shifting the roles. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, yeah. I love that. And um, I, you know, I was recently on vacation with my kids too. Same thing where we were trying to get everybody on the same page. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, our kids don't, they don't, they don't have the same vantage point. They don't have, they're not in our shoes. And so they care about different things. And it's um, good for us to remember that they see it differently and they can remember that we see it differently too. That's yeah. Great. I, Can you talk a little I, bit? Oh, go ahead, Kevin. Oh, ahead. I just wanted to say, Erica, I just really liked um, what you just did with the flipping of the, the position, because on the one hand, he's like, oh, man, it's not all fun. And, you know, it's not all fun always to be the parent. It's kind of a bother. But also <laughs> for us to be like, damn, these parents are barking orders all the time. You know? 
<laughs> don't do this don't do that hurry hurry, hurry. right if, if we switch roles I think both both of us have some uh, compassion for the other person and I love the sweet spot that is a huge uh, takeaway for me that everyone's sweet spot can be different and discipline can look different as as long as there is that that safety uh emotional safety I love that uh, I also wanted to ask Kira if someone was listening to our podcast right now and they thought to themselves you know this one situation is what we struggle with I've tried everything I've tried talking to my child I've tried you know talking to them in the middle of it talking to them afterward talking to my spouse about it uh, saying okay let's not do bath at all and let's do it another time is there <laughs> and they're like ah, I don't know what to do is there anything that you would recommend as a sort of uh, pause here let's look at this first even as a sort of diagnostic before jumping into what what, what would you sort of mm -hmm. recommend if there's a hot button issue and they don't know what to do with it right now yeah so you know um I'll be honest. I don't. I don't have a magic wand, right? Like if we could, if we could. I'm force glad. That means that means what you're saying actually is realistic and real life. Yeah. Um, if we could force our kids to do what we wanted to, it would be it would be really easy, right? But we can't, right? Our kids, their their job is to have big feelings that are different than our feelings, and so um, you know, if we kind of step back, what is our job as parents? Um, I would say our job is to uh, provide emotional safety for our kids um, and, you know, some physical safety. That's kind of your job. And your kid's job is to have big feelings about it that probably are not going to be the same feelings that you have. Um, you know, second, I would say have some compassion because it is really, 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 really hard to parent. And I think, you know, there's a bigger societal thing about how parents don't get enough support and we're isolated in different ways and social media makes us think everyone else is happy all the time and, you know, on and on. So, um, you know, have some compassion that there are ages and stages that are just really, really hard, right? There are kids' temperaments that make it harder at certain things, right? Um, they, I, I won't go off on a tangent, but like, I remember, you know, my first son is like a runner. All you ever saw was the backside of him as he ran away. My second son was always by your side. And like, you see someone else's kid and you're like, oh, their kid is, they have it so easy. Their kid does X, Y, and Z. There's always like a shadow side to that, right? The kid who's not afraid of anything, like, well, that's really wonderful, except like now they're running in the street, right? Or, you know, the kid who's by your side in public and never speaks out, well, that looks really easy, but then he he won't try anything new, right? So just having compassion that, you know, parenting is really hard. There are things that are really, really challenging. Um, you know, I, I always kind of, Erica mentioned play, um, you know, kind of after we take you out of fight or flight, get you out of the fear part of parenting, um, kind of reintroducing ways to connect and play um, and, you know, I think um, for lots of reasons, like as parents, we, we get into the checklist parenting, not that we intend to do this, but like we have other responsibilities, we have jobs, we have places we have to be. And so it becomes like, how can I force my kid to do X, Y, and Z quickly so that we can do A, B, and C. Yeah. Uh, and so it is kind of that idea of like, 
Um, how can I calm myself down? And then, you know, is this that important, right? My kid, for whatever reason, is re have, having a hard time getting out of the bathtub. I don't have to understand why. I don't have to know everything that perfectly. Um, I can just have compassion that for some reason on this Tuesday at seven o'clock, getting out of the bathtub is just impossible. And um, yes, you know, it's not always going to look pretty. Uh, I've been doing this work for a long, long time. It doesn't always look pretty. It's not like um, the Hallmark movie where the, the kid says, thanks, mom, for, you know, whatever. Thanks for, you know, I don't know. You know, kids are kids are going to be kids there. It's hard being a human. It's a lot of it's a lot of big feelings. Yes. Their job is to have big feelings that are often going to be different than yours. I want to print this out and put it everywhere in my room, wherever I run into my daughter. <laughs> I love that. And I also love the shadow side. Oh my God, that just kind of blew my mind. Yes, there's a shadow side to everything that we think of as a struggle is also their strength in a different situation. Oh, that just, that is gold. Thank you. That was beautiful. Yeah, and the human side, I think that, um, you know, in terms of how I was raised and how my model of like what a family is, is very like put together and very mm -hmm. like on the surface, a certain way. And so when I think about like humaning as a verb, you know, when I think about this, uh, what it is to human, it's very different and very messy and it doesn't always look or feel pretty. And so for me, what that means is sometimes I say like, you know, guys, like mommy's just really tired right now and I don't have a ton of patience and I'm just going to ask that we all, you know, do X, Y, Z. It would mean a lot to me. I don't have a lot of reserve right now. Just some, some statement like that. And again, depends on how old the kids are. You can't say that to a two-year-old, but, um, but I think that it's helpful to show them what it is to be a human with a full complex range of emotions and to problem solve together. Sometimes I think that can be very powerful. So we show them our own shadow sides, mm -hmm. right? And that then gives them permission to have their own shadow sides and, and, and be more integrated whole people. Yeah, no, that, that's really cool. And I, so I, I think one of the pressures that parents put on themselves is this idea that you have to do it right, say it right, get the right tool, the right strategy. And I, and I loved what you said there, Erica, because um, what if you just told them the truth, right? Wouldn't, right. Be, wouldn't that be a relief and so much less effort, right? Like, I don't have to say the perfect thing. I could actually say what's actually true for me. Like, I'm having a really hard time. Hearing you scream is really hard for me. Now, yeah, we're not going to do it in a manipulative way. Like, you're really, um, you know, you're really being a pain right now, we're, you know, so there are ways to do it maybe in a more responsible way, but yeah, like I, I need to take a break. This is really hard for me right now. I, you know, and again, we're kind of modeling it in a responsible way, but um, yeah. What if you just said the truth? Like everything about this, it feels really hard to me right now. I, I think that's um, can be said in a way that doesn't make kids afraid is, is what I think. I completely <laughs> agree. Yesterday, I was on a call and a parent of a teenager was saying, you know, yes, I want to be honest, but I dump on my child. And I like what you said there, because I completely agree. There's a big range between being honest and saying, I'm, I'm, I think I'm struggling right now and I need to take a little break and I want to show up 
and be able to really hear where you're at versus going to the other side where you sit and cry about your childhood and they're like, whoa, now I have to take care of you. That's such a big range, right? So I'm glad you pointed out that you can do it in a way that that is honest without having to place burden on your child. Mm. That's so good. Can you talk a little bit, I love the notion of of connecting before correcting and that empathy base, because I, I think, you know, now I work mostly with adults and adult relationships. I think that can be so powerful in our mm-hmm. adult relationships. We're so quick to say, and you didn't load the dishwasher, right? And you didn't, you know, and look what you did. You know, I, I think that especially as we think about this empathy-based parenting, there's so many parallels that we can think about for adults as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, I, I love this one, right? Because um, uh, a lot of parenting is honestly getting our kids to do things so that we can do things, right? <laughs> I need you to do X, Y, and Z so I can get to work or whatever. So there is a certain amount of logistical stuff. And, um, you know, depending on your kid's age and their temperament and, and everything that's going on, right? Like, they might need a lot of connection before they can be with the program and cooperate. Um, you know, my kids are 11 and 13 now. So there's certain, you know, certain ability, like I can now yell upstairs and say, let's go, it's time to go. But if your kid is five and seven, you might need to go up there and say, Hey buddy, what are you playing with? Oh, you know, and really create connection by getting into their world with play. Um, obviously, Adults want connection too. So it's not like, oh, my kid's 11 and 13. Now they don't ever need to be connected with me. No, like we're humans. We crave that. And so, yeah, and it looks different to different kids. So like, you know, you might have a kid who's really a snuggler and a hugger who really wants that physical connection. Another kid who's, you know, that's not, you're going to connect by being active and running around together or, you know, something wrestling or Um, You know, honestly, my 13-year-old, we text a lot, right? We send memes back and forth. I mean, that's where he is living. And so I can enter his world or not, right? It's my my choice. But um, yeah, so yeah. So looking for what feels like connection for you and your kid um, and that... I was like, how can I be a little bit more playful? Maybe like 2% more playful than I'm being right now. Um, And I think... Uh, I do think that accounts for adult relationships too, right? Like, how can I make this just a little bit more connected, playful, uh, not just the checklist, right? I need you to get the milk or whatever. <laughs> it's like, how, how can I feel human with you um, so that, yeah, the relationship, um, I'm valuing the relationship by taking that time, right? Like, what is, what's going to feel connected for both of us? Yeah. I love that. Yes. I think uh, looking for how connection feels different to different kiddos is the same with adults. Like your mom and you may connect slightly differently to how you and your spouse connect or you and your, you know, best friend connect. We all have certain dyadic patterns that bring out the magic in that particular relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I love to I like that you're suggesting to pause and bring a little bit more of that into the interactions that is special to that dyad. That's a good reminder for me too. Thank you. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I could talk about this literally all day. (laughs) 
I just I know so much synergy and I have been taking notes on the side so if you've been hearing vague typing sounds on the background I apologize it's because I've been taking notes of oh this is this is a good idea to think about with my daughter as well so thank you so much Kira where can our listeners and readers find out more about you learn more about your approach and your programs and just be in your world more <laughs> Oh, it was my pleasure to be here. And I um, love, love, love the work that you guys are doing. And I love your podcast. Um, so uh, my website is sweetspotparenting.com. Uh, that is my business, Sweet Spot Parenting. Um, and yeah, so at my website, you can find out how to book a call with me and, and work with me. I do do some small group coaching, but mostly one-on-one -on -one or couples coaching. Um, I love working with parents together. It's very powerful. Um, yeah, so that's um, how they can reach out. That is wonderful. We, I'm going to do my best to send this out to everybody that we know, including the people in our own programs who may be looking for someone to speak with, especially with, yeah. you know, their co-parent or their partner, or maybe they're parenting with their mom, right? Whoever it is that is the, the other adult in the child's life. So thank you. We will, I'm so excited to have this resource. Yeah, absolutely. And I can say, I mean, in my home, my home is so much more peaceful now because of our work together. And it's just, it's so nice, you know, to, to take those, the empathy, the, you know, how do you want to, how do you want to show up? Right. And also we didn't even talk about repair. I mean, I use that all the time and we talk about that all the time too is how do you you know when the conflict happens because we know they happen how do you then come back and take ownership and apologize which we can actually do with kids like you know it, that's not that's not well known sometimes but we can take our adult selves and you know connect with the kid and apologize and figure out how we as a dyad want to move forward in a different way so thank Truly, thank you, Kira, for all that you've done for me and my family. And I just thank you every day for uh, for your friendship and for your uh, effect on our family. Oh, that's so sweet. Well, well, thank you. Thank you so, so much. That's beautiful. Um, I, yeah, I, I love the idea. Thank you for bringing up the repair, just because I think one one of the many things that parents struggle with is so much pressure to get it right, right? They care so, so, so much in that idea that like, I have to do it right. I have to do it right. I can't screw this up. I care so much about this. Like when you know that you could, you know, repair anything really, um, yeah. I think that is so important because um, otherwise it, it does feel really terrible and pressure, right? I, I did something that I regret and now I can't come back from this. Um, yeah, so yeah, repair, huge, hugely important. Huge, huge, yes, in any relationship, I mean, there's so much neuroscience as well about how trust can be rebuilt with honest repair, even if something happened like 20 years ago. So the idea that, you know, I messed up my child. No, you have so much time and opportunity to repair. I, I'm really glad, Erica, thank you for mentioning that. Yes, 100%. <laughs> thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. This was so much fun for me. Right? So much fun. Thanks so much fun. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Talk to you soon. Bye. If this podcast means something to you, it would mean so much to me if you'd be willing to take 30 seconds to do one or all of these three things. First, can you follow or subscribe to Emotional Mastery? 
following the podcast helps you because you'll never miss an episode and it helps us because you'll never miss an episode. So to do this, just go to the Emotional Mastery show page on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and tap on the plus sign on the top right corner or click on the button that says follow. This is the most important thing for the podcast to reach more people. And while you're there, if you'd be willing to give us a five-star rating and a review and share an episode you love with a friend, I'd be so grateful. We appreciate you very, very much. Thank you.